Good evening to our Bloomberg audience. Welcome back to 880 The Biz. As you know, it is Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m., where we are getting real, staying relevant, and increasing revenue. Real time with the CJ Radio Show starts right now. Get set, go! It's the CJ Radio Show. Good evening to our Bloomberg audience, and welcome back to 880thebiz.com, The CJ Show, Johnny Irish, Corey, and young Maddie. We're here to bring you relevant topics and really keep you up to date. Now, Corey and I, over the past couple of weeks, we've been reading a lot of news, which we always do, and uh, one thing triggered our brain, this whole California license plate reader, and we said, you know what? We should really get the audience involved, talk some cybersecurity, talk data, and what we have today. His nickname is Doomsday Dave. He is Dave Hatter out of Cincinnati. This guy, you've probably seen him. He's been all over the radio, all over the news, and runs his own Friday morning radio show in Cincinnati talking about cybersecurity. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Welcome. Welcome, Dave. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Yeah, great to talk to you again, Dave. We had a lot of fun on the phone the other day. I thought it was really smart that we were able to really kind of get together for this show. I think it's going to be really important, and uh, we're looking forward to hear what you have to say and what your thought process is. So tell us, Davey Doomsdayer, as of today, what's the number one thing on your mind in cybersecurity? Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And I'd say the number one thing on my mind right now is the Internet of Things, all these so-called smart devices which really often we find out after people buy them are so smart. Mikko Hypenin, the CTO of F-Secure, a fairly well-known cybersecurity company, said there are new asbestos. You oh, wow. It. That's when a powerful as- comment. When asbe- it really is. When asbestos was introduced, everyone thought it was great, and we found it over time it wasn't so great. And I think we're starting to see that now with the fact that so many of these devices are rushed to market, and they're just inherently insecure and also have lots of privacy issues. Yeah. When you bring that up now, and for the layman, because I am the layman, is it more where the companies that own the products are what we have to be worried about or other countries or hackers? Or what is your thought process behind that? Or a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. To some extent, it depends on whether your concern is security or privacy. In most cases, you have probably both of those issues with many of these devices. So you have a lot of sort of fly-by-night companies rushing these things out there. They're not built with security by design. They're just, how can I get first to the market? Because there's a lot of money to be made, obviously. And many of these devices are somewhat convenient. They have a certain cool factor to them. So I'm not suggesting that folks just completely dismiss that there could be some benefit out of any sort of smart device just out of hand. But I think you have to ask the question, do I really need this? Is there enough benefit and return on investment to me to run the the security and privacy risks any one of these devices might bring to me. And then secondarily, who's behind this thing? You know, what are they doing to ensure that any data it collects about me stays secure? And what are they going to do with that data? Who else will have access to it? Those kind of things. So it's a little bit of both, really. Yeah, since our 880 The Biz audience and Bloomberg Radio audience, um, you know, a lot of them are company owners. So how important is it for a company to implement cybersecurity awareness and training education to its employees? 
Well, I think that's extremely important because in many cases, the bad guys are preying on the fact that the average person really isn't all that knowledgeable about this stuff and frankly doesn't want to be. And I get that, right? I mean, you're trying to do your job. You're trying to live your life. You don't want to have to worry about all this stuff. You just want to be able to do whatever it is you're going to do. So the bad guys know this, and they've gotten extremely sophisticated in phishing attacks, for example, you know, email-based attacks that come in. They look very realistic. I think it's extremely important to point out, not only to business owners, but to the folks, you know, just regular folks, folks that work in businesses, because sometimes it's the regular folks that get hit with these attacks. Mm. And if you go out of business, that's not good for you or the business owner. So uh, I think security awareness training, extremely important because the bad guys just get more and more sophisticated. It's very simple to go out to a reputable company's website, Microsoft, Google, whomever, literally scrape everything off a page like the login page that you would normally go to. Scrape it, copy the contents, copy the images, copy everything off of it. Go to, let's say, oh, I don't know, Zimbabwe, buy some cloud services there with a burner credit card that'll be virtually impossible to trace. Take all that scraped content, set up a website that costs you maybe 20 bucks for a month. It looks dead on the real thing. And now I send out 500 million emails. I know some small percentage of people are going to bite. They're going to click that link. They're going to go to my fake scrape site that looks just like the Microsoft site or just like the Google site. They're going to enter their credentials, and now I got them. Yeah. This is happening every day. What are some cybersecurity protective measures that the average person can take to defend themselves against cybercrimes? That is a great question. So if I don't get anything else out on this show today, I want to reiterate what Microsoft and Google have both said in the past six to eight months. Multi-factor authentication is the single best thing that you can do to protect yourself, protect your business, protect your family. Multi-factor authentication, sometimes called two-factor authentication, sometimes called two-step verification, it just depends on the platform, is that thing that most people find really aggravating where you can't just log in using your username and password. You then also have to get a code, typically called a one-time password, that would be texted to you, typically lasts about 30 seconds, and you have to have that to log in. Gotcha. Microsoft and Google, Microsoft and Google have both said 99% of all automated attacks will be blocked simply by enabling multi-factor authentication because then even if the bad guys can guess your password, even if they get it in at one of these dark web data breach type things, they still can't log in because they're not going to get that, that additional code that's required to log in. So if you don't do anything else, do that for yourself as soon as possible. There's all kinds of instructions and great resources on the Internet to teach you how to do it for any given platform. But any reputable bank, insurance company, anything like that, they all support this. Gotcha. Dave, our uh, a partner here, Maddie, who uh, works on the show as well, he has a quick, smart question for you. <laughs> Maddie, what were you sure, thinking about? Away, All right. So I've had personal experience with this. We here at 880, we're pretty good about the cybersecurity, but lately we have had issues with people calling in pretending to be a member of our IT department trying to fish for <laughs> information that way because the ways that you described haven't worked. Are there ways to secure against people trying to pose as IT, things like that? Well, Maddie, that's a great question. So uh, for a long time, there's been a, a well-known attack vector called social engineering. And even some of this technological stuff like phishing really sort of falls into that um, social engineering thing. They're, they're trying to convince you to do something by using things like graphics and images and so forth to make you believe it's coming from a legitimate source. This is no different. The, the most famous hacker of all time is a guy named Kevin Mitnick. 
Some of you may have heard of him. He's written numerous books. He had the FBI after him for a long time. And he's going from the black hat side of hacking to the white hat side now. He's connected with an organization called No Before. They have some great. What, did you just say LB4? Was that the name of it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. K N O W B4. No Before. Oh, no. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah. Oh, so no before. Great, no before. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Correct. Sorry so about some that. Great training. But. But no, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad we're getting it right because they have some great products that people need to be aware of out there. And this, this whole social engineering thing, it's never going to end. If someone has the guts to call up and pretend to be someone from IT or whatever, uh, you know, that's, that's a well-known attack back in the old days. It's coming back around and also bringing in something called deep fakes. Mm-hmm. We can dig into that if you want. And some of your AI guys uh, might be able to shed some additional light on this. But the best thing you can do, whether it's you get a phone call, someone leaves a voicemail, and keep in mind, these kind of attacks also occur during occur over text messaging now. So you, you really have to have a high degree of skepticism to anything you get, especially if it's asking you to do something related to financial information, do something different around payments, something you haven't done before, or anything where they're asking for some sort of sensitive information like a password. Yeah, you and double check, double check the actual URL, because a lot of times it's just off by one number. You know. Yes, you're exactly right. They'll, they'll spoof that URL. But what you said is exactly the thing you need to do in general. You need to stop, take a breath. Most of these things, you know, have some sort of outrageous demand that you, you know, if, this, if you don't do X by Y, something terrible will happen. But even if you get a call like that where someone claims to be your IT, then what you need to do is say, that's nice. I'm going to figure out what the right number is. I'm going to go and look up our IT department using internal resources to find these people and confirm that you are who you claim to be. Just because, I mean, it's, it's never been easier to find someone's phone number through tools like LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, if, or the company website. It's never been easier to do what's known as open source intelligence. Go out, collect information that is freely available so that you can launch these sorts of very granular, detailed, specific attacks and call and say, oh, I'm, I'm Joe Dokes with the IT department. Maybe you have a big company and you look up your IT department and there really is a Joe Dokes. My advice would be hang up on that person, look up their number using your internal resources, go to the IRS website or wherever this thing claims to be from. Don't click any links. Don't use any of the information they gave you. Verify on your own that this person, this email, this text is who they claim to be, came from where it claims to have come from. Verification. How often do you think a company's cybersecurity posture should be reviewed and revised? I'd say at least, I mean, you almost have to do it on an ongoing basis, but I also understand most companies don't have the resources to do that, and frankly, it's costly. You know, a big part of cybersecurity in my mind is you're not going to be able to secure everything. You have to prioritize the risk and, you know, invest where the most likely attacks are going to occur and the most sensitive data is. But you really need to have at least a thorough review once a year. Um, More often is better, but that's going to depend on your risk tolerance uh, what you're trying to protect, and frankly, the resources you have available. But, you know, the bad guys are constantly changing their tactics. They're very crafty, and, and it's very difficult to defend against someone once they've decided to make you a target. These sort of automated attacks that many companies are subjected to 24 hours a day are not that difficult to defend against. It's once they manage to get into someone's email account, like the CEO's email account, and they can lurk in there and see who you're doing business with, the bad things can happen. So, so you need to be reviewing these things regularly. 
hear that, folks? Review, review, review. And uh, one question, how important is it for companies to protect their client data at rest and data in transit throughout their network infrastructure? And what's the difference in challenges of both? Well, that's a good question. So data in transit generally means data as it's moving through a network, over the Internet, et cetera. And data at rest means stored on a disk or, or some type of storage device. Encryption is the answer in both cases. Um, you know, the good news is increasingly it's easy to encrypt data at rest. The latest version of Windows, Windows 10, comes with a product called BitLocker built into it so you can encrypt the disk in your PC. Um, obviously, servers support that kind of thing. So, you know, encryption is a double-edged sword. Encryption is good because when it's done right using strong encryption like AES-256, it's pretty much unbreakable. Um, by any kind of modern technology. Unless you've got access to a supercomputer and an unlimited amount of time, you're not going to break it. The downside of encryption is it impacts performance. It can, if, if it's done wrong, can actually destroy the data because if you lose the encryption keys, you're not going to get that data back. So I'll go back to kind of what I said before about you've got to prioritize the risk. It doesn't really make sense probably to encrypt every single piece of data in an organization if you have public information that's publicly available, what's the point of encrypting it? Mm -hmm. But if you have, you know, if you have sensitive, proprietary, confidential information, trade secrets, um, information that's required by law to be protected, that's where encryption comes in. It's a powerful technology, and again, increasingly inexpensive. So you got to look at what needs to be encrypted. Now, as far as the data in transit, the other piece, you know, every website really should be using TLS uh, for encryption. You should be using tools like virtual private networks, VPNs, particularly if you're trying to connect to your company resources from off-site. A virtual private network allows you to create an encrypted tunnel over the Internet. So as the information is being sent from one end to the other, it's encrypted. It makes it very difficult mm -hmm. for the bad guys to get at it. Um, encryption is a good thing, but, again, you got to kind of prioritize where does it make the most sense because it may be costly, and, frankly, you may not really get the ROI you expect, if you try to encrypt everything, but you, uh, definitely, go ahead. No, but, uh, going back to the uh, VPNs, like I put that Orbot on my cell phone, which makes me feel secure, but then every time I go to a website, I have to prove I'm not a robot. So, you know, on a personal level, sometimes it becomes, and you know, for an individual, it becomes a little, you know what, just forget this for today, just google.com. Um, is there an easier <laughs> way to do that or a better product? Well, so one of the things I want, so now that we've gone down the VPN rabbit hole, most big corporations are going to have some sort of enterprise solution for us. Mm. So for the most part, it, it'll just work and it'll be good. For, for individuals who are looking for VPNs or small businesses where they're not going to have some sort of enterprise solution, the best advice I could give you, and this goes for any kind of software that you're going to download to any kind of device, you really got to do your homework. Now, Google has removed more than 600 apps from their Play Store Ten of them recently that claimed to be VPN products, most of them tied to China, mm -hmm. that really were basically just taking all the information they claimed to secure. Yeah. So while a VPN, while a VPN can be a very, very powerful tool for you to protect your information when you're using the internet as a conduit, um, you really got to do your homework. And you know there are organizations like CNET and ZDNet and mm -hmm. PC Magazine and, and Consumer Reports where they'll have editors and experts who will go out and test this software and compile a list, 20 best VPN products of 2020, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and best antivirus products of 2020, 
do your homework and make sure that whatever you're downloading, particularly if it's a security-oriented product, is what it claims to be because you may think you're being secure and you're doing what Doomsday Dave told you to on the radio. <laughs> you, find out, you, know, you, you find out that what you've downloaded is, is really thinly veiled malware that's exfiltrating all your data to China. So VPNs are good. Um, they can create some inconvenience. But at, at the end of the day, you've got to make sure you are not downloading software that is really just ultimately stealing your information. And this kind of thing, this is another common problem. People here. I need this or I need that. So they go do a search. They land on something. It's free, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, all free really means in today's environment is you're paying with data. You're not paying with money. Yep, exactly right. You, you are the product, not the customer. You're paying with your data. So you've got to be careful what you're installing in your environment. It may come back to bite you. And mm-hmm. folks, always think about you know what they're asking for. A lot of people, like he said, nothing is free and realize what you're giving up. And uh, Dave, you mentioned that you know it can be expensive. So being that cybersecurity attacks have at sometimes shut down or impacted businesses in a major way, how important of a role does having cyber insurance play in keeping a company functioning when a data breach has been identified and compromised client data? That's a great question. I think... Cybersecurity is, in, in my opinion, um, if you're in business and you don't have it, it would be like not having liability insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, these attacks are increasingly common. In many cases, they're automated. In some cases, they're targeted. Uh, if you don't have cyber insurance and you, you get hit with one of these things, it may literally put you out of business. But it's also extremely important to understand cybersecurity is an emerging field. Most insurance companies did not offer cyber insurance as recently as 10 years ago. You really have to do your homework and understand the ins and outs of a cybersecurity policy because if you just plunk down cash and say, I have a cybersecurity policy, I'm safe, it, it may or may not pay when you make a claim depending on what happened. There are numerous examples out there right now where companies like AIG are trying to not pay claims on cyber-related fraud because you know they're saying that well this particular incident doesn't meet the criteria of the policy because of x y and z one really interesting case out there is because the company that got attacked was attacked by what's known in the industry as an advanced persistent threat that's like a nation state actor iran north korea china that kind of thing Mm -hmm. because they got hit by one of these apts they're saying well that's cyber warfare that's excluded from your policy and we're not going to pay so cyber insurance is good I think you're going to see that continue, continue to expand and more and more businesses will buy it. But it's very important for you as an organization to understand exactly what the policy does and does not cover so that you can take steps on the technical and control side of it to plug any gaps and make sure that, you know, if you do get hit, the policy will essentially be forced to pay because you did your due diligence and you did your homework and, and plug those gaps. It's a tricky proposition. It's important, but do your homework, folks. Very interesting. Uh, and uh, one thing, uh, knowing that big companies like Equifax, you know, have had data breaches and millions of people's personal information has been compromised. Uh, do you think these compromised companies and the government are doing enough to protect our data? I would say, well, in my mind, that's a twofold answer. So I would say companies are, it depends on who they are and what regulations they fall under. I'll kind of come back to that in a second. No, I don't think the government is. And here's why. Most of the time when you look at these data breaches and they keep getting larger and larger and there's more and more of them, it's not too hard to see that if you do any research at all. Who is penalized when these things happen? Well, us, me, you, 
the folks listening to this show. They have your data. Your data leaks out. Okay, so they might pay a fine. Sometimes there's not even a fine. They get a black eye. But when you look at some of the, these largest data breaches, there really are no consequences for it, except to the people whose data is breached and then used for nefarious purposes later, like identity theft and that kind of thing. So I think it, I'm generally an anti-regulation guy, but because this stuff is moving so fast and because it's, it is difficult to secure this data, and when, especially when you look at things like the target breach, it really wasn't Target's fault. They had a third-party HVAC contractor in there who ultimately was used to breach the Target network. So does Target have some culpability? I would say yes, but it really wasn't their people that caused this. So I think until we have more regulations, things like the California Consumer Protection Act or GDPR in the EU, where there are significant penalties to the organizations that allow this data to be leaked, I mean, there's just no real downside. Now, I think more and more businesses, and we see this through our clients, where clients will come to us and say, I'm trying to do business with company X, and they have given me some sort of cybersecurity-oriented agreement I have to comply with. And in some cases, I've literally seen some of these with organizations that have sensitive data, where there are 218 questions you have to comply with, and you have to provide evidence of how you're complying with these things. So I think more and more companies are taking this seriously. They're taking steps to ensure the security of data. But I think until you see either a federal regulation or more states adopt something like CCPA, particularly in smaller companies where they don't have the resources, they don't understand the threats, they're not really willing to make the investment, you're going to continue to see these kind of breaches until it starts to hurt really bad uh, when this happens. So uh, in this case, I am in favor of more regulation. Uh, and one one thing, you know, on more of a personal level for you, and one thing that I feel like doesn't get in the news as much, we've recently heard about ransomware attacks on small municipalities. And as the mayor of Fort Wright, Kentucky, um, <laughs> what steps have you taken and what suggestions do you have for other small municipalities to secure their systems? Well, ransomware is a huge problem. It's a growing problem because, and, and there's a new, even more evil angle to ransomware that's come out. Some of the bad guys behind ransomware now will not only get into your system, encrypt your data, and then hold it hostage. Kind of like I said before, you know, if you encrypt your data and lose the key, you can't read the data. That's essentially what ransomware is. They, they encrypt your data, and then they hold the key hostage until you pay. One of the things they're doing now, because the FBI has said you shouldn't pay the ransom, and I think each individual or each individual business is going to have to look at the value of that data. I mean, if, if I can't continue my business operations without paying, I'm probably going to have to pay despite advice to the contrary from folks like the FBI. But, but when you look at this and you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay this, they'll also say, if you don't pay, we will take the data that we have taken from you and we'll put it out on the dark web. Mm. You know, who knows what kind of confidential trade secrets they might be exposing, information that will get you in legal trouble because it's violating NDAs with another customer. Could be anything, right? So... That's a second evil angle that they've started to do now to make it more likely you would be willing to pay. As far as, as small municipalities, the bad guys know most small organizations don't really understand this stuff. They don't have the resources to defend against it. So I mean, what you got to do ideally is go out and find, a, find someone that understands this stuff that can help you review your systems, make sure that you're doing the, the basic baseline stuff like you have antivirus software you don't have open ports exposed to the internet. One attack bad guys love to do is find an open port, like someone using RDS 
to remote into their network and they'll use that to get in and encrypt the data. And that's and why then, we have you on the line, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I appreciate that, guys. And then security and awareness training, making employees aware that, you know, even though I got an email and it looks like it came from Microsoft, it might not have come from Microsoft. Microsoft has a great platform in their Azure Office 365 platform called Advanced Threat Protection, ATP. If you use that, it will attempt to block a lot of these sorts of phishing emails. It will attempt to open attachments to emails and test are they legitimate or not. So there are tools, there are technologies, there are policies. There's a lot of things you can do, but in many cases, people are really overwhelmed by this stuff, and I totally get it. Mm. You know, it's hard to figure out like where to start and how to, I have limited dollars. How do I prioritize my dollars to get the best bang for the buck? And defend the things that need to be defended the most. So, um, and not raise my taxes. <laughs> yeah, not raise point. your taxes. Yeah. And, and and a lot of things don't cost a lot of money, but you have to ask the right questions. Yeah, and focus on the right tools and policies. So, as a small as a small municipal government, I think the best thing you could do would be try to find a, a cybersecurity consultant in your area that you could just ask some basic questions and get some advice on, or potentially hire them to help you figure out. Where are my risks and how do I best spend my dollars to defend against those risks? And, and a good answer is something like Microsoft Office 365 with advanced threat protection. It's relatively okay. inexpensive to get access to some very powerful tools. All gotcha. right. Well, Dave, we're running out of time here. So um, just for the folks out there, again, tell your name, what you do, what company you work for, how you can help and where they can find you if they do need your help. And also you have a lot of media out there. So uh, where they can find your media kit, your videos, your interviews, and you're on the radio yourself every Friday at 6.30. So give the audience that information as well so they can tune in yeah. this week. I appreciate you having me, guys. So it's Dave Hatter. I'm a cybersecurity consultant with Intrust IT here in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, Intrust and myself are pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. We share both as an organization, Intrust and myself, lots of cybersecurity-related information. And, uh, yeah, I'm on 55KRC in Cincinnati every Friday at 6.30 a.m. That's all online, too. You can listen to the podcast. We're trying to put out useful, helpful information for folks so they can defend themselves their families, their organizations from the bad guys because these attacks, they just get more crafty all the time. It's sad, unfortunately. All right. Well, from 880 right. The Biz to 530 in Cincinnati, we thank you again for your time. I know Corey, I, and Matt had a great time, and I can assure you this will not be your last time tuning in on Miami. All right. Thank you for the information, my friend. Have a Appreciate great afternoon. Bye-bye.